0: move from Everest to K-2. If he won here, he'd have beaten the game's two most storied curses. Yet it was different. He's from Boston and grew up a Red Sox fan, a local boy made good. He arrived in Chicago as an outsider. Winning with him would be just as sweet, but not quite as pure. Why had it taken a Red Sox fan to finally turn the Cubs around? He was making his way through the crowd, chatting and shaking hands. He's sharp-faced, as fit as one of his players, with dark hair buzzed at the sides and dark, intelligent eyes. He shook my hand. I know his father, Leslie, a terrific novelist. We talked. I said, they made me take off my cub's hat. Who did? The people at the press window. Where is it now? He asked. In my bag. Keep it in your lap as we play, he said. If things go wrong, you can squeeze it for luck. The press box is above home plate at Wrigley Field, a two-story glassed-in booth with long tables and enough seats to accommodate a few hundred reporters. The ambience has not changed much since the 1932 World Series, when Babe Ruth supposedly pointed to center field then hit a home run to the exact place he had been pointing, the famous called shot. The last time I'd been here, it was empty. Now it was packed, with over a dozen reporters from Japan alone. I ended up in the auxiliary press box, a section of seats in the grandstand up near the rafters on the left field line. John Lester was the Cubs' starting pitcher. He has a mean game face, bald and bearded. He's a bulldog, a left-handed ace. He kept the Dodgers off the bases. Cubs took an early lead. They were ahead three to one in the eighth inning, but as all true Cubs fans know, this is the witching hour, the time when everything goes to hell, when a routine grounder slips through Leon Durham's legs, when Steve Bartman, the fan seated along left field, goes for the foul ball. Just like that, the Dodgers loaded the bases. The air leaked out of the balloon. You could hear it whine. Joe Madden, the Cubs manager, brought in his reliever. Aroldis Chapman, a big Cuban who throws in excess of 100 miles per hour. He struck out two batters, but the third man hit the ball into the gap, driving in two runs. The game was tied, but that's not how it felt to me. It felt as if we were a dozen runs behind, and the cause was hopelessly lost, and the slaughter rule would have to be invoked. What can I say? It's the nature of my condition, the disease incubated by forty summers at Wrigley Field. I am a Cubs fan. I get to the park, expecting to lose, curious only about how it will happen, But the fans in the upper deck that night, especially those under 30, did not seem downcast or forlorn. In fact, more than a few seemed confident, even happy. They began to chant. I could not make it out at first. Then I could. We don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. I laughed. Those fools, I said to myself. Do they know nothing of history? we do quit that's who we are we are the team that has not won a championship in 108 years that is often eliminated from the playoffs by late august that always finds a way to not get it done woe begone befuddled bewildered we are the cubs being a cubs fan has created my cast of mind i am not unhappy i am fatalistic I know how to live in the moment. I know how to enjoy what I can while I can, because I know that disaster is coming. It started with that first game my father took me to when I was eight. 1976. The Cubs were terrible. August, so humid the sky was weeping. The Cubs were playing the great Cincinnati Reds, the big red machine. I do not remember the details, only that at some point we were optimistic and ahead and could not lose. And then we'd been beaten, and it was all over. That was the first time I'd seen a drunk adult. The first time...